your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospel of John chapter 3. How are we doing tonight, friends? We doing okay? Very good. Very good. I want you to just think with me for a second of why you came tonight. Now, you don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to be gut-level honest in your heart. Some of you, if you're really honest, you, you may say, and I don't want you to say it out loud, but you may say, I'm here because the person next to me made me come. I don't know that I really want to be here, but I want to be in good graces with them, and so they made me come. That may be true. Okay. And some of us, if we're honest, we're here tonight because it's Sunday night. That's what, that's what we do. But this is what we do. No, that's okay. There, there's some value in that. That's not all bad. That, that's fine. But for some, you may be here for a very specific reason. Maybe you're here because you, you really need to hear from God tonight. Well, if you're in that category, I got good news for you. God has something very specific and fresh for you tonight. Now, here's the other good news. If you're here because someone made you come or wanted you to come, or you're here just because that's what you do, you know what? God still has something for you as well. And so I want you to think about this question for a second. If God had something specific to say to you tonight, God Almighty, this Alpha and Omega, the one who is holy other, the one who is the divine creator, if he had something specific to say to you tonight, how many would say you are interested in hearing what he has to say to you tonight? If, if you'd be interested in that, raise your hand. Okay. Be honest. If you're not, then that's fine. Okay. I, I am convinced with every ounce in my being that God has something for you. Now, I need to warn you. If you don't want to hear God speak to you tonight, you're not going to like any of this. And that's okay. I just want to warn you. just want to prepare you that you won't like any of it. And so if you find yourself in the middle of not liking it, just say, well, he warned me, and, and that's okay. So that's what cell phones are for, and so you can just kind of entertain yourself for the next few minutes. But I don't believe there's very many, if any, in this room that that's where your heart is. You wouldn't be here on a Sunday night if you, you weren't at least... A little bit interested in what God has to say to you. But my concern tonight is not that, that you're not open to what God has to say to you. My concern is that if we're not careful, we could just see this as, oh, Brady's going to give another talk. Oh, isn't that going to be good? We're going to have another Sunday night service and Pastor Edgar sang a hymn in there and there's some, some contemporary music in there. Oh, isn't that good? That's good. And we even had a mouth trombone offertory. That was really awesome. I don't know that I've heard one of those in a while. That's good. But as, as good as that is, or, or maybe you're excited about the person you get to sit next to, they're your Sunday night buddy, and you get to talk and get caught up in, in a little more relaxed environment than what you do on Sunday morning. And, and that has some value. That's fine. That's good. But wouldn't it be a shame if we focused in on those things that we liked or on those things that we kind of hoped for or that we got comfortable in and we missed what the divine creator had to say to us tonight? Now, I'm working extra hard to be calm about this message. Try not to be overly excited. Try not to be animated and just share it with you. 
but I'm not doing a very good job because it's beginning to ooze out of my pores. So I'll do my best to try to be a little bit stoic and a little bit kind of not so exuberant, but, but I want you to know that if you're really hearing what Jesus is saying, it, I want to warn you, it may get on you, it may get on your face, and there may be a little bit of excitement, and I'm not worshiping excitement, but when God is speaking, and I can sense that he's speaking to me, and it's relevant in my life, then there is something to celebrate, amen? Well, enough of that, let's get into God's word. Tonight, um, there is no PowerPoint for you. Now, you say, well, so, well, in my personality, that throws me for a loop. And it's not the team's fault up there. It's not the lady's fault. It's because uh, with all the things happening this week, the Lord had an outline for me to share with you, but I was pretty convinced he wasn't done changing it, and I needed more time before the cutoff for the outline. That's what it is. And the Lord reminded me, Brady, John Wesley did okay without any PowerPoint. But Lord, how in the world did he make it? John Wesley made it, and, and we didn't even have outlines for you to fill in the blanks. There it is. There's a PowerPoint. And so tonight, I want to encourage you, if you have a personality like mine, that, that it helps you learn when you engage by writing, you can take a sheet of paper or you can jot some notes. And here's what we're going to look at, okay? We've talked in, in some past months about this acrostic soap looking at the scripture, and we're going to make some observations about that scripture, and then we're going to see the application that God may call us to, to be obedient to those observations in that scripture. What would it look like for us to be obedient? And then we're going to pray and say, God, this is what I feel like you're asking me to do. I want to be obedient to you, okay? That's the guts of where we're going. And so while the Lord has put this on my heart, you have an opportunity to dig out of the text what it is that Jesus wants to say to you tonight. So if you're open to that, you may get in on this as well. But take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 22, and I'll be reading through verse 30. While I read aloud, I encourage you to read silently, whether in your Bible, your print Bible in front of you, or on your device, scroll to it. But if you can help it, I want you to have the text in front of you, okay? Because I'm going to be asking you to make some observations of the text with me. All right? If you don't have a phone in front of you or a device or a print Bible, look to someone around you and get close to them and, and uh, act like it was your idea to use theirs as well. Okay, So let's look at this together. John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Verse 23, now John also was baptizing in Anon in Salem, near Salem, because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. Verse 24, this was before John was put into prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. Verse 27. To this, John replied, A man can receive only what is given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends to the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy 
is mine. And it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. There is so much for us in this passage of Scripture. Uh, I want us to look at some observations that's happening here in the text. I want to invite you to do the same as well. You may see an observation that didn't make my list, and that doesn't make it any less important. But we want to say, okay, Jesus, what has happened in this text? What is it that you might be wanting us to see from your word here? And, And Lord, would you breathe on it again? Scripture talks about itself. You know that? It says the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. How many believe that to be true? Well, if you believe the Bible, then you've got to believe that's true, okay? So that means that this passage of Scripture is, is alive when the Holy Spirit breathes on it for us. And, and it is going to cut right to the chase of what we need to hear tonight. And so that's what my prayer is. That's what you are seeking together. And so let's look at some observations and say, Jesus, speak to us about what's happening here in this text. First, in verse 22, one of the things that jumps out at me is that Jesus was baptizing people. This is pretty simple. He was hanging out with people and he was baptizing people. Now, if you're just joining us tonight and you hadn't been here the last couple of weeks, we've, we've been looking at John the Baptist and, and the first few chapters of the book of John. And we saw that, that John is uh, telling us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and this is Jesus. And, and we begin to see that when, when he came and lowered himself to be fully God and fully man, that not only was he misunderstood, he was rejected. But then John, the Baptist, was was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And as he called Jesus out and said, look, there's the Lamb of God, and he testified to him. He paid a price for it. And we looked at all those things of what could happen to us if if we would also be John the Baptist and recognize where Jesus was and, and call people's attention to him. But here again, we see something happening in the life of John that I believe he wants to speak to us, Jesus wants to speak to us again today. And it starts with the understanding that Jesus was at work doing what he already had told John before when the Lord spoke to John and said that Jesus was the Messiah. He'd come and he would baptize, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is baptizing people and crowds are beginning to come around him. That verse is important because there's a problem that's coming that people are upset about and we need to see what took place there. Now, John wasn't surprised when he hears later in a few verses that Jesus was out baptizing people. This didn't catch him by surprise. The Lord had already told John that that Jesus would come and he would baptize with with the Holy Spirit. While he baptized with water, he would come with a whole other baptism. And so Jesus was just making good on what he already said he was going to do. And so it didn't surprise John. It surprised others, but it didn't surprise him. Look at verse 25 with me. Here we see, after this kind of declaration of what's happening when Jesus is baptizing people, and John is about his mission, he's still preparing the way for Jesus, and he's baptizing as well. And then there's this argument that is brought to John. Actually, John is brought into this argument. Don't you love it when two people are quarreling and they just bring you into their own argument? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Have you ever had that happen? Two people have a disagreement. And as if it's not good enough for them to disagree, they want to bring you in on it and allow you to be a part of the disagreement as well. And that's what's happening to John. Some of his followers, some of his disciples are, are arguing with this certain Jew. I love that in the text. As I did some study on that, we don't know a lot. We don't know anything about who this certain Jew was, but that's pretty specific. And I guess in my sanctified imagination, it kind of makes me think of, of this. Maybe his disciples knew exactly who he was talking about. Well, you know, that certain Jew and the disciples were arguing again. 
ever had someone in your life was that certain person? Wherever there was an argument, wherever there was a disagreement, wherever things went wrong, that person was there. They're that certain person, and they would always show up when things would go wrong, and, and that's what's happening. It's, it's John's followers, his disciples, and that certain Jew, and they're having a disagreement, and they're all churned up about it, and they come to John and saying, hey, 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 look, there is a problem. And they begin to describe that problem to him. And they said, hey, the one that you testified about, well, the one who is baptizing, all these people are coming to him. Now, they didn't say Jesus' name, but that's exactly who they were talking about. Everybody knew who he was talking about. And it's interesting to me here, as we read this closely, it's not John's disciples who get it. And this certain Jew who doesn't get it, it appears, the way we read the text, that that they're all kind of upset. It says, they came to John, and they gave this complaint, and they said, look, 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 Jesus, they didn't say his name, the one you testified about, he is baptizing, and they are all going to him. This is the problem that was brought to him. I don't know if you've had people who bring you in on their problems, but from time to time, I'll have a couple who'll say, Pastor Brady, we we want to come see you for marriage counseling. And the first thing that I tell them is, you know, I'd be happy to talk with you, but you need to know that I am not a marriage counselor. I'm not a clinical counselor, and, and, and so I want to make sure, you know, I, I do spiritual counseling. I can give some spiritual advice, but, but that's not my field of expertise in, in clinical marriage counseling. And if you'd like me to refer you to a, a marriage counselor, I'd be happy to do that. I believe in marriage counseling, and, and in fact, I'll do an ER visit with you to try to stop the bleeding and help you find that person who can do some more diagnostic work with you on the problems in your marriage. And this couple... After I gave that spiel to them, I, I knew them very well. They're not in this state. They're in another state. They said, well, we want to meet with you. Okay, fine, great. As they came into my office and they sat down and they wanted to meet with me, it became very apparent to me that they have had an argument going on for a long time. And I was invited into their argument to decide who was right. That's what it was. And it was really, really clear. The argument was about money what they should spend their money on, but more importantly, who should decide what they spend their money on? Really, who is in charge? And so the man had his whole argument lined out about how he should be in charge of all the money, and she had the argument all lined out about why her skill set should be in charge of the money, and we, we, we can't agree on this, and so we're going to bring you into our problem, and we want you to weigh in, and, and you tell us. In fact, we want you to tell us who is right and who is wrong. Don't just tell us what to do, who is right and who is wrong. Both parties convinced. I was going to side with them, each of them. And it became apparent to me that they were looking for an answer. And so I began to speak what was on my heart. And wouldn't you believe it? As soon as I shared what was on my heart with what they told me, instantly they stopped being mad at each other. But before you think I am this great counselor, they were united in their anger towards me. They were upset with what I had to say to them. And that's what's happening to John. They are coming to him with this argument. They are saying, hey, hey, we have a problem. You need, you need to know about this, John. Why, why don't you speak to us about this? Look at verse 26. They were upset. And they, they described what they were upset. They were ex- upset that Jesus was now baptizing and everyone was going to him. Now let's, let's look at this complaint a little bit and see what's happening here. Now, it could be that this Jew uh, may be one who's been a part of the religious uh, 
tribe for a while. We don't know a lot about what this person is, but it would be very common with other of John's critics to be upset about Jesus doing some things. Who is this Jesus anyway that he thinks he can baptize? Well, what's going on here? And there's a little bit of loss of control of who's in charge of this religious thing, and, and this isn't very good. And, and I could also see some of John's followers getting upset and saying, Now, John, we signed up to follow you, John. And you were so gracious and so humble, and when here Jesus came, you pointed to him, and don't you think he would at least have the graciousness, the respect, I mean, to look at your name, John the Baptist, and like not hinge in on your deal. You're the Baptist, and you can point to him, but, but he's now baptizing, and he's taking your people? We are the first church of the Nazarene, and the second church of the Nazarene, they are, they are taking our people? We never have any problems like that, do we? We never ever get all bent out of shape because some other work of God is, is, is taking our people, do we? Oh, that just hits too close to home. But that, that's what they're upset about. And so it's not that this, this certain Jew is the only problem person. It's, it's also the disciples, and they both weren't getting it. And so John's going to begin to speak to them. And my hunch is they then took their frustration out on him. What? You're not going to take my side. What do you mean you're not going to see this? And that's what's happening. R- remember that couple who I was talking to you about that instantly became upset at me? Here's what I shared with them. I said, you know what? You have this disagreement about money. I don't really have much concern about what you, should, what you think you should spend your money on. I, I really don't have any opinion on on what I think about which one of you should be in charge of your money. Here's what I think. I think you should both be united and ask the question, what does Jesus want us to do with our money? And I think you should be more concerned about what does Jesus want us to do in sharing the roles in this marriage? And they both got very upset. And they said, well, that's such a spiritual answer. We want some practical help. And I looked at them and I said, what did you expect me to say? And the husband said, I expected you to side with me. So I looked at him and I said, you know what? My vote is for you not to be in charge. He didn't like that. The wife started to get excited. And I said, now, you know what? I think my vote is for you not to be in charge either. Now they're both kind of upset. And I said, what if we let Jesus be in charge of this? I said, now, when you came to me, didn't I warn you that I only give spiritual counsel? Yes. Have you ever heard me share anything like this before in other teachings? Yes. And they admitted, they said, you know what? Secretly, we kind of thought you'd say something like this, but we were hoping you would just settle this for us. It's interesting. Sometimes people know what the truth is. We talked about this this morning, but we're not so sure that we want to hear it. We just want someone to agree with us with our position already, but that's a whole other sermon. So they were upset, and they saw that Jesus was hinging in on their territory. And John, he replies. Here's how he replies, verse 28. John says, I have told you from the beginning that there is one greater than myself. And then he calls him and he basically says, have you not heard this from me before? Haven't I told you that after me will come one that is greater than I? Haven't I told you? In fact, isn't it the bride's desire to look to the bridegroom? The the friend who is serving the, the bridegroom, isn't it? 
Isn't it their job to wait on the, the bridegroom and when he speaks to get excited, when he shows up to be excited? That's my joy, John said. In other words, my whole existence has been to point to the way of Jesus. And haven't you heard anything that I've told you? Haven't you been listening to anything I said? Now, the last two weeks, we've looked at John's testimony over and over. He's saying, look, behold, there's the Lamb of God. He's the Messiah. He's the one who has come. I've talked to you about him. He is here. In fact, uh, last week we saw that that a couple of them went and followed Jesus, and and they became followers of Jesus, and he was excited about that. But but they had forgotten what it was that John was all about. They'd forgotten what John had been teaching them and pointing them to. Guys, I told you this all along. This was the one who I said would come. Would you wake up and see this is the Messiah? Then the next observation I see in verse 28 and 29. John begins to talk to them as I just shared about his calling. He says, this is my calling. This is why I exist. And then in verse 30, it's the whole key to this passage in my opinion. The whole thing hinges on this. In fact, so much of John the Baptist and his whole ministry is is in this verse right here. John basically gives his life purpose in John 3.30. He says, he must become greater. I must become less. Some of your translations say, he must increase. I must decrease. John is saying, my full existence is to lift him up. And to do so means I may and most likely need to downplay myself to lift him up. John was declaring his entire purpose of existence was for moments just like this. And he wanted all those around him to know, hey, hey, I want people to follow Jesus. Don't start looking out for number one. Don't try to start protecting, controlling the ministry here. We only exist to lift him up. That's what he shares. Man, that's powerful. That's John, the forerunner, preparing the way for Jesus. John 3.30 is important to me. Some of you I've shared in other settings, but John 3.30 is my life verse. To, to get at a little bit of that life verse for me, I could just share a, a little bit of how that became a life verse for me. When I was 12 years old, I felt God's call for me to go into ministry. I was not excited about that call. I reluctantly accepted that call. At age 12, my desire was to be a professional soccer player. I didn't know at the time, I did not have the talent or the drive to do so, but that's what life was for me. That is what I was going to do with my life. And when God was calling me to the ministry, I didn't have these visions of sugar plums dancing in my head of all these glorious things about church ministry. I grew up in a ministry home and in a pastor's home and an evangelist's home. And so I saw the underbelly of all the other things that can happen in church ministry at times. And I thought, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I don't want that. I I love you, Jesus. I'll serve you, Jesus. But someone else can go deal with all that stuff. And surely not me. And the biggest hang-up I had was uh, I knew more than anybody I was not my dad. And that was a model for me in ministry, and, and I can't do the things he does. That's not the way I'm wired, and, and Jesus never asked me to be him. He asked me to be me. But I came to the end of myself, and I said, fine, God, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go into ministry. I'll be a youth pastor. I'm not going to be one of those weird senior pastors. I'm never doing that, but I'll be a youth pastor. I'll go into the ministry for you. I'd rather be miserable for you than be happy the rest of my life. That was the tone of my obedience. 
But the Lord began to work on my heart and change my heart. And it wasn't too long that, that I can't imagine doing anything else. And this is the best life possible that God has created for me. And I love what he has called me to. But he changed my heart. And as he changed my heart from age 13 to age 20, for those seven years, I began to try to prepare in every way I knew how for ministry. And I'm not that bright of a guy, but one thing I learned is that God is calling me to be effective, not always original. And I thought, I'm going to ask every single pastor that I can get my hands on what it is that they would do if they were me. And so I came up with this questionnaire. I just found it the other day. It's, it's, it's quite hilarious. It is 27 questions that I asked every youth pastor I could find, every senior pastor I could find, every district superintendent I could find, every college president that would let me talk to them, every general superintendent that would be duped into letting me ask them these questions and and i wrote down what they said and as i looked back at these 27 questions i saw some of the questions were pretty good couldn't believe a 13 year old wrote those questions some of them were pretty dumb i you know was amazed at my own stupidity for asking those questions but the the the, some of the questions would be uh where did you go to school what what degree did you go after what books have you read I was counting on like two or three, and then they listed all these hundreds. I'm like, oh my goodness, now that's a good lot to write down. And, and, and then I asked some questions about, are, are they married? If they're married, how did they find their spouse? And how did they talk to them about ministry? That was on my mind, especially as I got older. How, how did that work? And they shared some things with me. And then as I got into school, I began to ask and add some questions. Well, what, what's your philosophy of ministry? That sounded like a smart thing to say. You know, a college student learns that. What's your philosophy of ministry? That's important. And then what, what programs have been effective? What, what, what's so important to you in programs? And, and I began to ask all these questions. But, but the last question that I would end with in this little survey as I was preparing for ministry was, if, if you could only tell me one thing that you'd want me to know as a minister who's preparing for God's work, what would you want me to know? And I stumbled on that. I probably shouldn't even ask any of the question. That was probably the only question I needed to ask. And, and they said things to me like this as I was reading that journal this week. They, they, one guy said to me, Brady, get as close to Jesus as you can and help other people do the same thing. Wow, that was pretty good. Brady, you can't give what it is that you don't have. Well, that, was, that was pretty good. Uh, another one said to me, Brady, you need to find a life verse and live out the verse that God gives to you. And it was from that prompting that I began to read the Word, and I began to say, Lord, what is the life verse that you want to give to me? And I felt that the Holy Spirit took me to this passage in John 3.30 that says, He must become greater, I must become less. And as I look back, I can see that this was so powerful for me because these things that some of these mentors or people, some of them were mentors and some of them weren't, but the things that they were saying began to come into to, to being here that, that I could get as close to Jesus as I can and help others to do the same if he increased and I decreased. Another one of the things that people had said to me is, is Brady, I, I want you to know that It's not that important that people like you, but it's more important that people like Jesus because of you. And so I began to look at that thing and, and see how that connected to John 3.30. And I said, well, if he becomes greater and I become less, then, then I don't have to be worried about it if people like me as much as if they like Jesus more because of what it is I'm doing. And this has been a foundational text for me. So there's something here. 
But that's what Jesus did in my heart from this passage, and that may or may not be what he wants to do in your heart. So let's shift our thinking in our remainder of these next 8 to 10 minutes together and look at this from the standpoint of how could we live out together this John 3, 22 through 30. What application could we see in our life? Here's one I think we could see. In your life, you too will be drawn into arguments of people around you. Bank on it. That will happen. If you haven't seen that yet, hang on, it's coming. Someone's going to have a disagreement, someone around you, and they're going to bring you into it, and they're going to want you to weigh in on their disagreement, and I ask you, how are you going to respond? John responds by pointing them to Jesus. How will you respond? Will you turn to your intellect? Will you turn to your position? Will you turn to your power? Will you turn to the things that you possess, your talents, your, your, your goods, your, your resources? Or will you turn to Jesus the way John did? Is there anybody in your circle of influence right now that's drawing you into their conflict? And what are you going to that conflict with? Sometimes we can know it in our head, but when we begin to live it out, it comes out differently. And and what would it look like if we would say, silver or gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, let there be healing in your problem. Could, Could Jesus be the answer for their problem as well? Another way to live this out is to recognize that some people are going to come to you as well and convince you that you need to take care of yourself first. Whether it's the enemy using other people or putting thoughts in your head, some people are going to come and say to you, you know what, if you don't look out for number one, who's going to look out for number one? Look out for yourself. Some people will come to you and say, you know what, it's great that you want to do this act of service, but, but you know what, there's not much money in that kind of a calling. There's not much money in that kind of a business. So, so why don't you think about earning a living this way, and then out of the excess of what you earn, you could go do this, and, and when you clearly sense that God is calling you in that direction. There'll be some people who come to you and say, you know what, you should be careful, not let them take advantage of you that way. And, and we need to say, well, well wait a minute. I want to know what my life purpose is, and if my life purpose is to allow him to be greater and for me to be less, then then it's okay for those things to happen. What would it look like if you would recognize and not be surprised, but there's some people around you who it may come out as flattery. Sometimes it feels good when people say, you know what, you deserve this. It's easy to go, you know, kind of right. I kind of do. I work hard. I'm a pretty good person. Not as bad as him. Surely I deserve something. And we fall into the trap, but John didn't fall into that. How did John not fall into the trap of lifting himself up? Because he was so fixed on what his purpose was, he sidestepped the well-meaning people around him who were trying to protect him and say, listen, I mean, you deserve some kind of credit here. Don't let Jesus steal all the credit. He says, wait a minute, I am here from the beginning to point my way to Jesus. And he sidestepped that. So be aware that that will take place. Another application is, What is the message of your life that you are known for? John was able to respond to that, and he said, Hey, haven't you heard me talk? I've been talking about preparing the way for this Jesus ever since you knew me. I'm the weird guy out in the wilderness eating locusts, wearing animal fur, and and, and I'm weird, and you just came, and all along I've been talking about this. You know this is my speech pattern. You know my life message. Maybe some of us tonight, we could ask ourselves the question, What? What am I known for? My message, what I say. Are you known for the guy who always has the right business answer? Are you known to be the woman who can always 
fix the problem? Are you known to be the person who is just congenial and always gets along with everyone? What are you known for? What's your message? My wife likes the word mantra. What's your mantra? What is it that is your life philosophy? I've shared with you before. I, I want to share it again. I hope I get it so much that it'll get into your brain. I'm not trying to convert you to me, but I believe it's something that a lot of Christians could buy into. My life philosophy is this. This life is very short. The next life is very long. The things that I do in this life can directly affect the things that happen in that life. So I'm going to spend this life only concerned about the things that are important in this life. And the things in this short life that don't impact the next life, I'm not going to worry about. That's what God has put in my heart. And the message that I want to live out is for this to take place. He must become greater. I must become less. If you look back, could you point to anybody and say, hey, you've heard me talk about this before. Or maybe is the Lord saying, there's no record of you speaking for me. Maybe he wants to start that today and say, would you put words to the faith in your heart and begin to talk to people around you so when they come and try to take you off path, you can say, hey, look, 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 I've been about this for a long time. And a final thought for us. How would it look for you to embrace John 3.30? He must increase, I must decrease. He must become greater, I must become less. What would it look like specifically tomorrow, Monday, is that right? Still Monday tomorrow? I think it still comes after Sunday every time. Monday, for you to allow yourself to become less so the Lord can become greater. Now don't misunderstand that. God's not threatened by you or by me. He's fully God regardless of what I do. But in my life, in me, for me to remain in him, for him to remain in me, I've got to push Brady down to make more room for Jesus to be there. What would it look like for you? Maybe it's talking less. That's what Jesus told me this last week. One of the things he said, Brady, here's what I want you to do. As you feed the sheep of your family, when you know you're right, sometimes you just need to shut your mouth. Caden, are you in here? Caden Bree Weishart. Well, I'll ask forgiveness instead of permission. I uh, will talk to her later. I don't see her here. So this happened uh, this week. Actually, two weeks ago, but came again this week. In my house, I had shared with my girls, my wife and my daughter, if you pick out your clothes the night before, there is no argument to be had in the morning. This is a fact. Dad has thus spoken. The house should be in awe. That morning, the next morning, I hear a little scuffle about what clothes we're going to wear. Everything in me wanted to walk over to the room and say, Girls, I told you, if you pick out your clothes the night before, there's no argument the next morning what you're going to wear. And the Lord said, Brady, just shut your mouth. That's not helpful right now. And so for me to allow him to be greater and for me to be less, I was right. And I wanted everybody to know that I was right. Why? It wouldn't have helped then. To be real honest, my desire was for them to know how right Dad was. And it wasn't really to diffuse the situation. So daily, for me to, to live out John 3.30, Jesus, when is it that you need to just, just, just take me down a notch so you can be lifted up? Now here's what I think. We have 120 seconds before I'm going to let you go. And these next 120 seconds, I believe the God who 
speaks and light appears. The God who speaks and creates a giraffe is the God who wants to speak and create life in you and me tonight. So I want you to bow your head with me. We're going to pray in a second. And I want you to ask God this question. God, from what I've read of your text tonight, what I've heard proclaimed about what you did in and through John and what you did with the disciples and this certain Jew, what you did, Jesus, yourself in this baptism, what, what are you saying to me? How could I be obedient to your word? You don't have to make it up. You don't have to prime the pump. If Jesus is speaking to you, it would be like a neon sign. Maybe he's wanting to say to you, hey, 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 you shouldn't be surprised at the work that I'm doing. I've already told you that I'm going to do it. Maybe he's saying to you tonight, hey, you know what? It's normal. There'll be people who are upset. They're going to draw you into their own argument. You don't have to come up with the answer. You just let me be the answer. Maybe he's speaking to you tonight. What is my life mantra? What am I known to be speaking about? Maybe he's calling you to be more vocal in your faith for him. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you tonight about John 3.30 becoming a part of your life, whether it's a life verse or not. Maybe he's saying, I need you to be willing to be less so I could be more in your life. Maybe the Lord wants to bring encouragement to you tonight. Maybe you've been faithful. You've been obedient. You've been a good servant. And the Lord says, I want to take you to another level. Would you be willing to be humbled again so that I could use you in an even greater way? Lord, I thank you right now for your word that you have given to us. I thank you, Jesus, this is not just a dead story of what happened to people many, many years ago that doesn't have relevance to us now. I thank you, Lord, that this is a real-life account, not just of an exception, but an example of what you have done then and what you are doing here today. Lord, I thank you that I'm not the only one in this room that has been called to serve you with my life. Whether my brothers and sisters have been given a vocational call to full-time ministry or a life of surrendered service to you as a follower of you, Lord, may we be forerunners that point people to you in every area of our life. Jesus, we've lifted you up tonight. You are the holy other God. You have been active in our midst this week, and we give you praise for what we've seen you do. Lord, we've been listening to you through your word tonight. And Lord, we want to be obedient to what you are telling us for ourselves, for our family, for other believers, for the world. And so, Lord, we are wanting to hear from you. But, but Father, I confess right now that I don't have much confidence in my flesh, myself. I don't have much confidence in my brothers and sisters flesh in in them themselves but lord we are depending on your resurrection power to empower us to be forerunners for you jesus 
And if you would see fit, would you give us the strength to not only obey, but to obey with radical obedience in a way that, that may cause some arguments. Some people to say, well, well, protect yourself. Look out for yourself. Make sure that you, you, you get the attention you deserve. And Lord, would you give us the humility to say, no, no, this is my purpose to point to Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for how you fed my heart tonight. I thank you for the food that you've given to my brother and sister. May we chew on it. May we savor it. May we receive it in a way that it can feed us for the work you're calling us to. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen and amen. Well, I tried to prepare you that God has something for you tonight. You may have a zinger. One of my mentors shares with me, when they hear God speak and it just leaps off the page, it's like a zinger. There's other times when I saturate myself in God's Word and I, I don't get that. It doesn't mean that God's not speaking. It means that He is just drawing me to His Word to chew on it and it may come in a day or two or three of why that was important. So whether you had a zinger moment tonight or God is just filling your heart with knowledge about who He is and how He works, may you go and look for how you too can be a forerunner for Jesus. Thanks a lot for your attention tonight to God.